You're listening to a sermon preached at Meridian Church. For more information about Meridian Church, visit meridianchurch.com. It is our hope that this sermon is used by the Holy Spirit to minister to you the grace and peace found in Jesus Christ to the glory of God the Father. And now, here's your sermon audio. Good morning. We've got some good news and bad news for you this morning. The uh, good news is you don't have to hear me sing. Bad news is you're going to have to hear me preach, but uh, I am a lot more comfortable doing this than I am the other, that's for sure. If you would open your Bibles this morning to the book of 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, we will be looking, we will be reading verses 22 through 26, and we will focus this morning on verses 25. And 26. And this morning, I would like to talk about the refreshing qualities of repentance. 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 22. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord for, from a pure heart, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may uh, perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him. To do His will. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we do, Father, thank You for this time uh, together, this time um, to come together, Father, to worship You, to glorify You, Father, to uh, encourage each other, uh, Father, to build each other up, and Father, with Your Word, and Father, we do, uh, Father, pray, and Lord, we thank You for the refreshing rain that You have sent us, uh, Father, and now, Lord, we pray that your word would be refreshing to our souls and our bones. Amen. For those who have heard me preach over the years, you may have noticed that I like to define words, especially when a word is, is prominent in a message that I am preaching even more so, is, it is when it is one that I call a church word. And church words are what you hear all the time inside a church, but hear them used little, if at all, outside of it. Words like sanctification, holiness, dispensational, eschatology, and so on. And so forth. I've talked about football for many years, but I have never in my conversations remembered talking about football using the word sanctification in it. And yes, repentance is in that category as well. It may be a little more common in everyday conversation than those other words I mentioned, but Sometimes it can be misunderstood. 
So what is repentance? Is it just another word for asking for forgiveness? They do go together, but repentance is more than just asking for forgiveness for a wrong that you have done. The word repentance in Scripture literally means to change one's mind. I particularly like this definition I run across that expands on it. That definition says repentance is a change of mind leading to a change of action. It gives the thought of making a 180 degree turn in your actions. I came across this quote during my study. Repentance is, repentance is not when you cry. Repentance is when you change. I've gone to two Billy Graham crusades. Uh, one when I was a teenager and the other as a young adult. I'm not trying to downplay those. But as you might expect, at the altar call uh, at the end, there was a mass of people who went down front. And I was, as both times I looked at this large group of people who were down front at this altar call as just as I am played over and over again. And I couldn't help but wonder, perhaps in, in wrong judgment, how many of them truly were just saved. Was it an emotional experience? How many got caught up in the moment? Did everyone else around them go so they felt compelled to go in order not to be embarrassed? Uh, you know, was it a numbers game? Do you have 200 people come down and, and hope that 20 of them are legitimate? At churches and other places this morning, people will be reciting the sinner's prayer and thinking, leave, leave the altar thinking that they are now justified before God. There will be sermons about going to either going to heaven or going to hell, if you don't want to go to hell, then you need to recite this sinner's prayer. And so what person in their right mind is going to give up, uh, wouldn't sign up for that opportunity? The, the 20th century British evangelist Leonard Ravenhill said this, the sinner's prayer has sent more people to hell than all the taverns in America. People will line up because they don't want to go to hell not because of repentance. They don't want to change their ways, they just want to avoid the consequences of them. They will leave the altar the same way they came to it. I'm not saying that all altar calls are, are fruitless or bad. I'm sure many of us can testify in our own experience of genuine conversions during this time. But God saves us despite the altar calls, not because of them, much like He saves those who are truly His, despite of who we are, not because of who we are. I watched a Paul sermon, uh, Paul Washer sermon uh, several years ago, and, and this line has stuck with me ever since. Do you hate the sin you once loved, and do you love the God you once hated? That, my friends, my brothers and sisters, is repentance. Jesus said in Mark 1.15, repent and believe the gospel. You can't have belief 
without repentance. People might think, I believe in God and and I believe in Jesus, but I'm enjoying myself too much to change. I'll just be a good person and do the things that good people are supposed to do. And another thing is, repentance does not stop with our salvation experience. It continues on in in our spiritual growth and and sanctification. And and we know that by looking at these verses this morning. This morning, for us to see that repentance is given by the Lord, Repentance reveals the hidden and repentance releases from bondage and all, that, and all of that helps us come to the realization that true God-granted repentance brings refreshment to the bones. First of all, repentance is given by the Lord in verse 25. Uh, he says, God may perhaps grant them repentance. Now, one of the sticking points I had on my journey in Reformed theology dealt with repentance. I mean, I got the five solas. Scripture alone, faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. Yeah, I got those. I even got the limited atonement in Tulip. I got that, but... But I was like, okay, so what do I do about repentance? If I have to change my mind, doesn't that involve me doing something? And the answer is found right here in verse 25. Grant them repentance. Just like we would never choose to follow Christ on our own, we do not own, own our own volition, freely change our mind, turn away from sin, and to hate the things of this world. God changes us. God does the saving, and God does the changing. And repentance Again, doesn't stop when we become believers. One of the most obvious examples in all of Scripture is the example of David. And after he was confronted by the prophet Nathan about his sin with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah, her husband, Nathan told a story of a rich man who took a poor man's only lamb in order to feed a guest, even though he had many lambs, Himself, the actions of the rich man in the story just incensed David, and then Nathan proclaims, "Thou art the man." I like the King James where they say it there. "Thou art the man." David, who had not repented up until this point that we know of, we don't know even thought about what he had done. Uh, he is convicted of his sins. And when we read of this repentance in Psalm 51, when we, when we read of this repentance in Psalm 51, I won't read the whole thing, but I will read what I think are some key verses where we can really learn about repentance. Have mercy, O God, have mercy on me, O God, 
according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Even for a powerful king, repentance is a humbling thing. This is why repentance must be of God. We in our sinful nature don't want to think about the fact that we have offended that we have offended a holy God and we need repentance. We like to look at all the good things that we have done or compare our actions to someone else who we know acts worse than we do. And so we know that, of course, now that we establish that the repentance comes from God, we looked at now that repentance reveals the heading. When God grants repentance, it leads to knowledge of the truth. It says right there, God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. Therefore, we must speak the truth. Repentance is always a response to truth. If we want to see people repent, we must speak the truth of God's Word to them regardless of feelings or pushback. God may initiate the repentance, but does not let believers off the hook. Verse 24, go back to verse 24, says not to be quarrelsome. It says to be kind to everyone. Be able to teach. To, it says to be patient while enduring evil and to correct your opponents with gentleness. We should tell the truth, but we should tell the truth in love. God uses us as His agents for repentance. God didn't directly speak to David about his, about his sin. He used Nathan. The Apostle Paul wrote some harsh words to some churches, but he did so out of love. He was concerned for their souls. When we teach and speak the truth, the Holy Spirit convicts a person leading to God, initiating the repentance. And every single step of our journey to faith is of God and is not because we deserve it. Sometimes we not, may not even realize we need repentance without the prompting of the, the Holy Spirit. That's why the, that's why the Spirit convicts. One piece of advice I would give to uh, young couples who are getting married or who have been married a short time, and I'm sure anybody 
who has been married at least 10 years can back me up on this, is, 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 is to deliberately think about your actions and what they mean to your spouse regardless of your intent. It may seem innocent, but you may be causing harm to your marriage without realizing it. About 20 years ago, I was interviewing a woman who was participating in a women's pro-bass-tour league. And and excuse me if if I've I've used this as an example before, uh, but um, I asked her a simple question. I asked her, I said, well, how did you get involved in professional bass fishing? And her, her answer has stuck with me ever since. And I still remember it. She had married her husband. Both, both of them were successful uh, business people. They were middle-aged. It was both of their second marriages. They already had uh, grown children. And so uh, when they came together... As husband and wife, they they had an empty that there was just them that was involved. Now, when they were dating, he was a big fisherman, and so for dates they would go out on the lake, and he would fish, and she and she'd take a book and read a book. Now, after they got married, you know, and they're living in the same house, they would uh, he started going out with his fishing buddy. And left her home, home all alone. And, uh, you know, so after a couple months of this, she finally got fed up with it. And she met him at the door one time. She says, you either teach me to fish or I'm divorcing you. And you, know, you can guess how it turned out since she turned into a professional bass fisherman. But, you know, and it's, you know, and so, I mean, we can sin against another person without even realizing it you know we can if we can do it that way we can surely sin against a holy God and and not realize it but conviction leads to repentance and repentance leads to knowledge and knowledge leads to action and the pursuit of righteousness in John 16 8 through 10 John 16 verses 8 through 10 Jesus is talking about the coming of the Holy Spirit when he says and when when he the Holy Spirit comes he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judge. It is important to deal with sin in our lives as quickly as possible when we are convicted of it. Uh, Puritan... Uh, preacher uh, Richard Baxter from the 17th century said the longer you delay the more your sin gets strength and rooting if you cannot bend a twig how will you be able to bend it when it is a tree if you cannot pluck up a tender plant are you likely to pluck up a sturdy oak the the longer that sin festers the worse it may get and the longer it may take to deal with it. I, you know, I like to write 
I, I like to watch real crime shows, and one thing I've noticed is with serial uh, criminals, that's serial with an S, not a C, um, you know, like murderers, uh, is that the majority of the time, their, their crimes tend to escalate every time they commit it and become more frequent. You know, and they become more frequent and then they become more violent as they try to replicate that thrill of the time of before. That's an extreme example, but, but sin works the same way. Sometimes, by God's grace, the transformation, the turning away from a sin is immediate. But other instances, it can take a long time of failure repenting and asking for forgiveness before we can attain the victory over the sins that ensnares us. And which brings me to, our, to my final point this morning, and before I do go, go on to that, I will say this too. Being remorseful is not the same as being repentant. Feeling guilty is not the same as being repentant. The classic example of that is Judas. When he betrayed Christ, he had, he had remorse. He felt guilty for it, but he never repented of it. And finally, this morning, repentance releases us from bondage in verse 26. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Uh, admittedly, I, I sometimes think I downplay the, the role of Satan. You know, I, I, I use that, I think people just use that as an excuse or something, but I just tend to write off sins as it's just our sin nature coming through. But we do have an enemy. Someone who hates God and his people, and he will try to do anything to drive a wedge between the two. The Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 8, 9, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Satan can't make you do anything. There's no such thing as the devil made you do it. What he can do, though, is tempt, lie, and deceive. And even make you think you're doing the Lord's work when in actuality you're, you're serving Him. Jesus addresses the Pharisees about this exact thing in John 8, verses 44 and 45. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do the father's desires. These were people who thought they were following the letter to the law, they even added to the law in order uh, to be more pious and to be more holy. <coughs> they were still failing miserably, but he, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth in him. When he lies, <coughs> when he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. <laughs> Satan is crafty, and he knows your weaknesses. 
Genesis 3.1, now the serpent, Satan, was more crafty than any other beast of the field that Yahweh had made. <coughs> and one of his favorite devices is found later in the verse. Did God actually say, he loves to twist scripture? An example from what might be said today is, did God actually say, homosexuality is a sin, or did he say not to judge and love everybody just the way they are? He traps people in his snare, and they don't even realize it. But even with all the, his deception and devices, and even when we falter, believers have a trump card, and that card is repentance. The blood of Christ has already paid the penalty for our sins, and we must pray for those who are, <coughs> those who are caught up in the devil's snare and not even realize it. So what happens when we repent of our sins, when we are convicted of our sins? And you find that answer in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well we, can all, well, we cannot always avoid the snare of the devil. Believers can do things to thwart his plans by getting God's word, be part of a Christ-centered church that not only encourages you, but holds you accountable and commune with God through prayer as we pursue holiness through sanctification. As I wrap up this morning, let me ask you, is there anything you need to repent of today? Has the Holy Spirit convicted you of sin that you need to deal with this morning? If you walked in here this morning not knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me ask you, do you hate the sin you once loved and do you love the God you once hated? I invite you to invite, if so, I invite you to speak with one of our elders. We're reading in Acts 3.19, where Peter tells a group of people, Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out. Christian, what sins do we have under conviction that is holding us back from moving forward in our pursuit of righteousness, and holiness. It is not a pleasant experience to deal with sin. It is necessary and it is commanded, yes, but as Steve read this morning out of Proverbs 3, be not wise in your own eyes, fear Yahweh, and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. There is freedom in confession. There is joy in forgiveness. There is peace in Christ. Do you have sins weighing you down this morning? Confess, confess them and let the forgiveness of God free you from the burden you are carrying and you can find refreshment in your bones. Psalm 55.22 says, Cast your burden on Yahweh, 
and He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word. Father, we, we thank You, Lord, that You have provided a way to have a relationship with You in every step of the way, and You have provided a way in order to do that through the, the blood of Your Son who has taken away our sin as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. And Father, I do pray, Father, Lord, that we would all repent this morning, Father, of sins that have, that have chained us, Father, Lord, that through You, Father, that we can make a 180-degree turn, Father, Lord, that through You we can change, Father, and Lord, and that we can pursue, Father, righteousness and holiness, Father, even more. And Lord, we will give you all the glory. Of course, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon audio from Meridian Church. Please feel free to share this resource with others. We only ask that you do not alter the content in any way. Again, you can find more resources at meridianchurch.com.